0: Welcome back to I Was Hornswoggled, Waking Up From a Narcissist-Induced Nightmare. I am your host, Horena, and this is a Van Diary episode covering the book, The Covert, Passive, Aggressive Narcissist, Recognizing the Traits and Finding Healing After Hidden Emotional and Psychological Abuse, and I am in my van, and my kids are in class, and it is a rainy day here, so I won't have as many people giving me <laughs> the, the side eye seeing so me talking in my van uh, to myself. So um, last week we covered uh, covert narcissist parents and i wanted to touch on chapter two and we're gonna and it's broken down um, into three phases love bombing devaluing and the discard so in these episodes i've decided to cover the book that i purchased by debbie mirza and i wanted to i highlight some touch points that um, are like bullet points to me and uh, to comment on and I want to recommend this book for anyone who is dealing with the covert or passive-aggressive narcissist. They go by many different terms. Um, The more people that come out talking about narcissism and a lot, just like with anything you'll notice, some people um, tend to want to coin their own terminology to kind of break away from the original and, and dive deeper in the direction that in their own experiences. So they name it something else. So I've heard them like, it's like the victim narcissist because, (laughs) or the like passive aggressive narcissist, or I just stick with covert and overt because it's easier to understand. And covert really to me describes what a covert narcissist does. They hide behind you stabbing you and cutting you a thousand little cuts and you don't even know until it's too late and the over is just normally that jack hole that is just in your face abrasive so you can you know dial your approach to the person accordingly where a covert they trick you into thinking they are something else they trick you into thinking that they are innocent and they are nice and they are just like you, and then you quickly find out that is not the case. So um, what they do is they base this off from like three different uh, the phases. And in, in the beginning, a narcissist does love bombing. And um, I've I <laughs> I was talking to my husband about um, my my last episode and how, you know, reiterating, because as I learn stuff or as I start to peel back layers of my narcissist nightmare, I like to share it with him because he also went through it on in the, in the like 15 years he was around my mom. So it it helps to explain a lot of why she treated him in a way so differently than how she treated me and then so differently and how she treated like my sister because the narcissist doesn't treat everybody the same. They treat everybody according to what they want out of that person and what they can get out of that person. So and then they will mirror you and hoover you and love bomb you accordingly. So, um, a brief description on the love bombing. It happens right up front in the relationship. To me, it's like the worm on the hook. You know, it's the, 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 the treat that gets you in, and they start immediately will start selling themselves. Because they're not stupid, they realize that nobody will stick around them if they're a jackhole. Like, they have to hook you to get you to stay. And part of hooking you to get you to stay is not like love bombing you necessarily with tangible gifts. It can also mean that they will love bomb you by mirroring you going, oh, look, we're just so much alike. Oh, I love that too. Oh. that's my favorite movie. Mine too. And they could have never seen the movie, but they will pretend that they did. It's very much what you will hear people say that um, they're dating someone and they broke up because they realized they were a chameleon. Or you have that co-worker that is a chameleon or that family member that just seems to not have their own identity. They're constantly light because chameleons will change the color of whatever surface they're on to the best of their ability and that is very much to me what narcissists do in the very beginning as part of the love bombing is they will chameleon themselves to you to get you to buy what they're selling which is themselves which is their false self so they will get you in like the hansel and gretel with the creepy witch in the woods just wanting to fatten up the little boy and girl so she can cook them later the gross uh, <laughs> nursery rhymes we grew up with so this is very much what a narcissist does. So, And this is where the groundwork is actually laid for us to fully trust and believe in this person. And this is um, out of the love bombing idealization phase that is um, that Debbie Mirza comments on in the book, The Covert pa- Passive Aggressive Narcissist. She goes on to say, because of your initial experience with them, you end up seeing everything they do through the lens of a good person, someone who cares about you and someone who you can trust with your heart. This idealization phase usually lasts between 6 months and a year. This is generally the case but not always. Here are some descriptions of people that she interviewed that gave her the covert narcissist in that gave um, them the covert narcissist in their life, the love bombing phase. So she took notes. That's one of the things that I commented on in our last episode that I really like about this book is that Debbie puts in little glimpses of cases that she, in in therapy sessions and, cust- and like um, clients, I'm going to call them customers, but the clients, I like that she puts these little glimpses in her book so that it helps us, the reader, be able to go, oh yeah, that totally is something I've gone through. So it helps so much for us to share our experiences and uh, Debbie shares her clients experiences. I'm sure she, um, well, she doesn't use their name, so, but hopefully she would have like their permission to reference it, but, you know, if this is your job, being a a coach or a therapist for something dealing with narcissism, you can just pretty much, over a period of time, see a pattern of behavior and then jot that down, making it so much easier to build a broader view of uh, symptoms that people deal with when having relationships with narcissists. So, the idealization phase, um, this is some of the stuff that that their cl- her clients shared with her about their covert narcissist in their life. They said stuff like, He was so kind. I felt so lucky to find her. He was different. He talked about his feelings. He asked me lots of questions about myself. He really wanted to know me. He seemed to really care. She was kind of shy. We were so much alike. He opened up to me about his abusive childhood. He was really honest and vulnerable. She was beautiful out of my league. I felt so lucky that she liked me. She was fun. You see, it's, it's how the other person in their life sold themselves. So they either sold themselves to you based off from their looks, um, what you have in common, what they, like, if you're used to being with a person who's very closed off and doesn't ever express emotion or share intimate details about themselves, and you share this with a narcissist, like, oh yeah, my past relationship, it was just... It was so hard to get them to open up because they would never talk to me about how they felt. So the narcissist hears, oh, okay, so I need to share my deepest, darkest secrets in order to get them to bite my hook. Because that's what it is. It is a hook. The love bomb, they got a hook ya to keep ya. So then um, they'll, they'll also say stuff like, She was a really good listener. He was humble and kind and sensitive and very easy to connect with, which is really hard, you know, to, um, I would not want to have to be out in the dating scene again because, knowing what you, we know about narcissists now and trying to dive back in and avoid these sharks in the dating pool, it has to be another layer of no thank you that I don't even want to mess with. Um, I'm telling you, <laughs> um, they would also say stuff to her saying, he was spiritual, open, and philosophical. He was soft, which was so nice after experiencing a lot of anger in other relationships. So pretty much whenever you start dating someone, it's our—it's in our nature to want to share and experience, you know, new relationships and people on such a genuine level. The narcissist will take this moment and they will exploit it. And the other creepy thing I've noticed about narcissists I've experienced is they will take these little things that we say and they shove them away in like a little narcissist knapsack and they will keep them later. It's like playing a card game with them. They will hold on to these cards for now and then when they need to play them, they'll play them and you will be caught off guard. You'll be like, whoa whoa, they remember, whoa, they're going to play that on me now, you know, when, when they feel they need to, when they feel vulnerable and they need to pull something out either to draw you in or to shame you, how, whatever reaction they're wanting out of you, they will play that card and you've openly shared it with them in the very beginning of the relationship. When they, when you open up to them, they take notes. It's really, um, a disgusting pattern. Debbie goes on to say, many told me that they felt so at ease with the covert narcissist in the beginning stage. So this is a quote from a book Debbie is quoting called Psychopath Free by Jackson McKenzie. This is a quote Debbie sharing in the book that says, although it feels amazing at first, the idealization is actually responsible for, for most of the damage, when the relationship comes crashing down, they set a trap, and it's a trap no unsuspecting vi- victim could ever hope to escape from. So um, Debbie goes on to say, It is common for targets to say, We seemed so much alike. This is because the covert narcissist will mirror you in the beginning, in a sense, to become you. So what they do is they they... It's just like building a house. They will build the foundation of your relationship on this false, this false uh, image that they have created in order to trick you into, to even buying what they're selling. So in essence, when the relationship house, you know, there's a, an earthquake in the relationship and it starts shaking the house. The false foundation that, that you both have built, that they laid for you and you bought and bought into it hook, line and sinker. They, oh, there is a loud motorcycle going by. Um, so when that earthquake starts to shake in the relationship, you don't necessarily understand the gravity of what's actually going on. The false foundation that, that, that you built the foundation on with them, that you allowed them to build it on as like a unwilling participant, (laughs) uh, starts to shake and crumble and you start to hopefully get a little bit of a glimpse that something is not right. So when things start to crumble, that is when they will start devaluing you. So um, they are going to observe you during the period of the mirroring. And they will ride the wave of emotion that you are feeling so it feels like they are just as excited about something or just as sad about something or just as passionate about something but when you dig deeper into that you'll find that they don't really know what it what you're talking about they're just really good pretenders back to my chameleon concept they're just really good at mirroring whatever Person they're around, whatever surface there they've laid their little chameleon body on, that is the way to go. And the irony is, is like chameleons in the wild do that to survive, to blend into their surroundings so that predators won't get them. And the irony there is, a lot of narcissists, this is how, if they lived in a very abusive childhood, that they learn to chameleon themselves to their abuser. So that they wouldn't be consumed so much by the predator, because if they were so much like their abuser and they had so much in common with them in their mind, it's like a survival mechanism. That's how they were taught to survive their abusive situation. But then also we know narcissists that can be created in other ways. So The irony to me is is not lost when I use the chameleon um, metaphor. So uh, they are observing you during this period, Debbie goes on to say, they will ride whatever emotion you have. Many survivors look back and realize the excitement they felt and the energy of the relationship they so believed in actually only what came from them. And it is, it's only one-sided. It's like a creepy circus or a little... At the fair, the little uh, circus buildings you would go in, the little fun, funny mirrors and stuff. Very much how a a narcissist is. They will just give you what you're putting out to get you trapped covert oh yeah so and they also don't have a strong sense of self they will pick up on what what a person wants and then they will become that and because of this people are impressed with how well the covert narcissist can seem to relate to all types of people and i could see that so much in my mom because she would mold herself to whoever she was around if you were really if you really loved cars she would reminisce and go back and tell stories about her childhood about anybody she knew that had a car what kind of car they had um she would tell the same story over and over again on how when she was a teenager and she was dating this guy that she impressed him by speed shifting and that's the only story she had in her little bag of tricks so throughout my entire childhood when anybody would talk about cars she would whip out that one story to identify with them, to mirror them, to get in on their level so that they can bypass it. And to me, covert narcissists will mirror you in a very, like they're hacking your world. They aren't coming right up front. And uh, because if a covert narcissist was honest, we would never let them in the door. So what they do is they slide in the back door, just like a hacker will come in and through your firewall. That is exactly how covert narcissists do I do you. If they came right up front and said, Hi, my name is Deborah or Tom. And I absolutely am going to pretend to like everything you like. So just just, you know, let me do that. And then as we get to really hit it off. And right when you think that I, you and I make the perfect couple, I'm going to slowly start cutting you down, okay? And then like, would you go, yeah, this sounds great, keep going. And then they say, once I start cutting you down, you're going to start to feel really confused because I spend a good six months showering you with gifts, showering you with adoration, showering you with compliments. But then around seven and eight months, I'm going to just start slowly dialing it back. I'm going to cut down maybe your hair color. Maybe I'm going to say it doesn't make you look very good and you should change it. And then I'm going to probably start cutting down your favorite jacket and saying, You need a new one because that doesn't fit you and it makes you look fat. And then I'm going to start cutting down your family and friends around you. But then when you least expect that, I'm going to buddy up to your family and friends. So then when I finally go in for my kill shot, you're going to have no one around. Does this sound great? And like the normal, a normal person would be like, no thanks. Nope, I'm not going to touch this scenario with a 10 foot pole. I'm not going to do it. So covert narcissists are the hackers. They will hack into your life through the back door, which makes getting to know people after you've been hacked by a no-covert narcissist even less likely. Everybody is guilty until proven innocent once you have been screwed over by these people. So Debbie goes on to say, I spoke with one woman who would watch her narcissistic mom observe other people's insecurities and and shower them with compliments and praise in those areas. The targets felt very loved, seen, and heard. Yep, this is exactly what my mom did. Her mom did not care about these people. She only wanted to look good and be impressive. She was using them for the attention and admiration she received from them. They were her energy supply. And that is exactly what my mom would do. She would try to find something in common with anyone. And if she couldn't find something in common with you, you were the defective one. And then she would just smack talk that person because she couldn't, she didn't have any tricks in her bag of tricks to pull out to buddy up to them and use them as potential supply. So then she would immediately demean them and talk down to them because she literally fell above them. Also, um, this was the other part too, Uh, similarly Debbie adds, uh, if a target is spiritually minded, It is common for them to feel like they have actually found their soulmate. When they meet and date a covert narcissist, the connection will feel like home. The covert narcissist will mimic the zeal for spirituality as a target generally has, which feels amazing to the victim. They are on the same page, it seems, but this is an illusion the covert narcissist creates. And that is exactly like one of my exes, I tell you. I ended up, it was so strange because I would see this guy everywhere I went and like, I was like 19 and if I went to the mall, I would see him and then I would go to a grocery store and I would see him and I'm a person that can has always been able to pick up patterns in general. So when I started seeing the same guy in random places and then all of a sudden I go over to my friend's house and they're a couple of um, years older than me. and. All of a sudden, I open the door and through well, to their apartment, and there this guy is. So, you know, I was like, wow, this is strange. And he just latched on to me. And I don't know why. I, it's not like I feel like he was stalking me or anything, because we didn't know each other. And he never made the connection that I would see this person everywhere I went. And granted, it's not like a huge city that we lived in. So, he latched on to me, you know, and I, having some weird familiarity and um, just being young and naive, I was like, yeah, sure, but I was also standoffish. I always have been um, very much like the, I don't really, I'm very... Hesitant to just openly trust someone. So this person found out that I would go to youth group so then all of a sudden they're Very they love going to youth group and they love going to church and he was a good five years older than me So he was I think he was yeah mid-20s. He was 25 and I was like 19 20 so it was really interesting because um, he was great. He would start, he started mirroring me right off the bat. He was spiritual. I was spiritual. He loved doing this. I love doing this. I love going to orchards. He loved going to orchards. Like everything I liked, he liked. And then slowly, and he, then all of a sudden, he was this big quote unquote Bible thumper. You know, he would start quoting scripture. And to me, that always comes off disingenuous when people just try to use um, scripture as like some sort of look at me look what i can do scripture in a spiritual sense if you understand it it's meant to be um the word of life the bread of life you're supposed to spiritually consume it and not use it to garner attention and adoration and not to have a peeing contest with how much of it you know which is what narcissists tend to do a scripture, they will use scripture, um, not to grow as a person on the inside, they will use it to, uh, weaponize it against you, they will contort it to say what they want it to say to justify whatever means they have going on, and they will also use it to showboat, and that's what this gentleman would do, and sooner or later I found out that this dude was such a narcissist, but I only wish I knew what I knew 20 years ago, was, um, (laughs) I caught his, I thought it was so strange that he would always still have these weird connections with all of these rowdy ex-girlfriends. And I say rowdy because they always had some sort of like a rap sheet. And then he would stay connected with them. And now, knowing what I know about narcissists, they love to be in a higher position than their targets. So his past relationships, he would pick people that he felt that he was above. So if he had never been in any trouble with the law, then naturally, his target's he chose all lived a rowdy life where he could be their savior. He could be the Christian man who comes in to save them. But really, he's not Christian. He, he he doesn't intend to do anything um, like walking what Christ would teach. He he did not want to follow that whatsoever. And I started to see the, the colors of this gentleman come off when all of a sudden I was talking to his friend, her name, we'll call her Amy. And she said, I just want to tell you something. Now this is going to be somewhat explicit. So if you are listening to youngins, um, just, um, turn it down, send them out of the room or whatever, because I'm just going to quote what she said to me. So it's not my words. It was her words she said, I feel really bad because this, this was a girl he said was his friend, right? And he would always talk about how he felt sorry for her, but she was kind of homely or whatever. And she just could never get a boyfriend. And once again, he's a savior. You know, he's this knight in shining armor who's going to you know, treat her nice because no other male will. This dude was a piece of work, I'll tell you. So (laughs) she proceeds to tell me that he had started calling her and, and pleasuring himself on the phone while calling her and talking to her and this, um, dirty scenarios that he would make up. And it was so, bizarre to her because their friendship had never been that way. They were always a genuine, like, cause they met at church. <laughs> so could you imagine being this poor girl who met this guy who latched onto her on the outside? He tells everybody that she's homely and he feels sorry for her. And then he starts calling her at night to pleasure himself on the phone and then also set up scenarios that he has his hands around her and they're in a dark alley and all this weird role play on the phone. And she said she would just, she felt so grossed out by it that she wanted to tell me because she felt like I should know. And I was like, wow, wow. Yeah, I should know, you know? So I immediately... I separated myself from this guy. I was like, yep, we're done. And because I'm not, you know, I'm not, um, glutton for punishment. So I, I thanked her so much for telling me. And then, you know, he, obviously the narcissists do not like you to discard them. They want to do the discarding. So naturally that really affected his ego and He was like, how dare you discard me? I'm amazing. You can't discard me. And It really ticks off the narcissist when you break off with them, when you break things up with them because they think they're so amazing and that they poop golden nuggets that you should see how amazing they are and you should also be in awe of their golden nuggets that they poop. So when I wasn't, Uh, he started to low key stalk me in this way where he would show up to my work. He would put flowers all over my car. He would sit at the end of my driveway and wait for me to leave so he could run out and try to talk to me because back then we did not really have cell phones were not like everywhere. You know, I had one, but it was like the, the chunky green nokias you know so and i lived out in the country so i didn't have good reception so every you would have to use your landline more so he would sit at the end of my driveway and then and then he started making because i was going to school to be a cosmetologist he started making appointments underneath different names and show up as a client for me to do their hair and it would be him And I would immediately swap clients, because I was in beauty school, we could just swap people. I would immediately, uh, touche him, not come out onto the floor, and I would swap out, and I would tell one of my friends in class, oh, he's here again. And they would just play dumb, they would go out, and they would say, oh yeah, she's not here today, or she's on lunch, so we traded clients. So I never let him get the upper hand in that way. And then, get this, this was just the confirmation I needed was then he was a straight truck driver, like he would drive short trips throughout the day in a a delivery truck. And he normally had a guy as a partner, they would swap driving. Well, he had, uh, before I had broken off with him, he had a lady who was in her mid-40s as his, so it was like 20 years older than him at the time. And, um, he had told me, oh yeah, she's really nice. She has a family, this and that. Um, it's a, you know, really different having a girl as a partner instead of like, um, a guy and blah, blah, blah. So after we had broken up, I thought it was so strange. I got this phone call and it was like 10 o'clock at night and I thought, well, that's strange. And so I answered the phone and nobody talked back. And then I heard this person, my ex's, um, voice in there and he is just going on about me. Oh yeah. She, this and she, that just talking to mad amount of crap about me. Right? So here in my view, and I didn't know what narcissists were back then. So I did not understand the amount of lies that narcissists do. Right? I just knew that I had a very low level of crap that I would take even at a young age from people. Like once I got your number, I got your number. You're done. I'm done. I've always been that way because I'm not a glutton for punishment. So I would, I listened to my ex badmouth me to, to this new person and just making up so much stuff, you know, totally projecting, totally lying, totally manipulating the scenario. And then all of a sudden he picks the phone up and he realizes, he butt dialed me and I listened to everything he said. And he went, oh, 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 sorry. Uh, How long have you been listening? I was like, I heard everything. And it's just further confirmation that I made a good choice to kick you out of my life. And he was like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. And then naturally he shows up at my house after his shift. It was like one in the morning and he's sitting at the end of my driveway. Sorry, I just hit my phone. Sitting at the end of my driveway. And, and finally he just gone. I finally started dating someone else after a couple months went by and he just finally left me alone. And he's only tried to reach out, I'd say 10 years later on Facebook, you know, like they do, narcissists. They love to go back to see if that previous supply that kicked them out, if they're still there, still there, possibly just as yummy as the supply as they were back in the day. So I just naturally go through and block people ahead of time. Like I will find them and block them because I don't want them knocking on my door. In the future, I just don't. It's not. It's a waste of time. And now, now that I know what I know about narcissists, I just look back and re-evaluate every relationship that I had because they say once you are, you've been raised by a narcissist, you tend to attract them. So they will just come at you, and because you are like that little moth to, they're the moth and you're their flame. So. I think this is going to wrap up this episode and we were just talking about, um, covering the first phase, which is the love bombing. I did highlight a bunch in here, so I think I might continue to talk about love bombing in the, like in our next, um, episode, but yeah, I think, uh, that's a good place to end right now. The next stage is devaluing. So I did reference that that's once they have you hooked, then they dial it back a little bit, and then the confusion sets in. So we'll be talking about probably wrap up some love bombing and then talk about the devaluing stage. So I hope this uh, Van Diary has helped in some sort of way. Um, As I travel, and I love to read different books about covert narcissism and narcissism, because it really helps you to go back like a little Sherlock Holmes and reevaluate like all these scenarios in your life with a new fresh set of eyes. So don't be scared. I recommend you do the same thing. You lift up so many rocks and underneath there are so many more um, juicy and new nuggets for you to learn from so that you don't make the same mistakes again. So I hope you have a great day and you can contact the show at... Now, I'm going to pick you up from my coffee, my coffee cup holder, so my voice will sound closer now. Um, So, uh, you can get a hold of the show at hornswoggledpodcast.com and on Twitter at hornswoggledpod. And I can't remember my email right now on the fly because I'm doing a van diary. So, just go to hornswoggledpodcast.com and you will find all of my contact information, And this is, uh, the book I was covering just to refresh your memory is the Covert Passive Aggressive Narcissist by Debbie Mirza. Her last name is M-I-R-Z-A and you can find it on Amazon too. That's where I picked it up and it's in Kindle, I believe you can get it on your Kindle too. So, all right, talk to you later. Time to go pick up my kids. Bye.